if you're you know familiar with tactical teams, you know you got the Halligan Bard. It's a uh, entry tool that you know the fire department uses almost exclusively. They really like it. It's something they've been using for over a hundred years. Um, a lot of our SWAT and tactical teams like to use them because it's a really good tool. The only problem is they're like thirty six inches long, twenty eight pounds, and they're about two hundred fifty dollars or more a piece. And then you have to usually have a sledgehammer or an axe to work with it. So you know, really big and heavy. Um, they work great, and they're perfect for what that you want them to do for like forcible entry and things like that. But um, on an individual level, they're they're not really a tool that an officer can usually get to or a normal first responder can. And typically, when the fire department uses them, it's that's like one guy's job. They're so heavy that, you know, this is your job. You carry these two tools and that's it. That's the only thing you're doing. So when, you know, as a police officer, we get these, you know, what we call them check the welfares. So there's an older lady. She called. She couldn't breathe. She was having trouble. And so we get to the door and she's got one of those metal screen security doors in front of her house and, you know, no front facing windows. And it was, we couldn't get to her. You know, so I had to call the fire department to bring their tools. They came out, opened the door and we got to the lady. But that was like a 10 minute delay, you know, and it took me about six, seven minutes to get there in the first place. So you're talking almost 20 minutes before we reached this lady. And that was the main impetus. I, I got tired of waiting for the fire department, <laughs> basically. So um, the idea was just create something small lightweight, easy to use, affordable that somebody, you know, like an officer can buy, or if a department wanted to, they could buy, you know, a hundred of them and then just basically to reach people faster to help save people. Welcome to the Transition Drill Podcast. As members of the first responder and military communities, we need to be planning today for our transition from these careers. Because unfortunately, as many have experienced, these careers can tell us the ride is over before we're ready for it to be done. My name is Paul Pantani, and I've spent the past 30 years in law enforcement, working in various assignments and promoting through the ranks of leadership. With the help of my guests, who like you are either former or current military members or first responders, the goal of this podcast is to provide you with information to help you in your planning. But just as important, we can't forget to take care of ourselves today. So I'm also going to have guests who are going to talk about how to be more physically and mentally fit. Welcome back, everyone. Joining me in this episode is Brian Carrington. Brian knew from a young age that he was going to join the military, and so after graduating high school in 1998, he enlisted in the Army. His plan was to become a Ranger and to do a career. He was accepted into the Ranger Indoc program, but a medical issue prevented him from achieving this goal. He eventually served nine years, finishing out his first enlistment with the 4th Ranger Training Battalion and then transitioning to the National Guard. In 2009, he became a police officer in San Diego. He's 13 years into that career and still working towards his retirement. But in 2013, he had an idea for a lightweight and portable tool that first responders could use in emergency situations. So in 2019, he started Stone Griffin Tactical, and today his company produces the Rescue Multi-Tool. In our conversation, Brian offers some great advice for taking something from concept to production, especially something that involves engineering and forging. In addition to this, he talks about starting a company and the associated legal requirements, the patent process, the importance of networking, and a lot of other just good information. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Please enjoy episode 54. Tell me, young Brian, where'd you grow up? <laughs> uh, it's actually really kind of fun. I grew up all over the place. Um, moved um, actually in my 26th house <laughs> right now. So uh, moved you don't back. like to stay still. Yeah, no, it's a kind of a nomad life. Uh, dad was in the Air Force and then I joined the Army. Yeah, after I graduated high school. So, um, you know, I spent time in Northern California, Southern California, New Mexico, Florida, Georgia, you know, just kind of all over. It's actually born in Reykjavik, Iceland of all places. So, yeah. And growing up, did you, did you find that you liked the moving around or was it difficult on you? Um, you know, looking back, 
um, it's kind of a mixed blessing, you know, uh, it makes you more adaptable. I can, I can pretty much fit in anywhere, you know, I'm, I'm easy to, you know, move around and, you know, get into that new place. Uh, it does make friendships a little bit harder. That's one thing I've, I've struggled with, I think lately is, uh, trying to maintain those connections just because I am moving around so much, uh, especially as a kid, you know, you kind of, as a coping mechanism, you gotta, you know, it's almost like, you know, you got to disassociate with you. You can't maintain those connections because it hurts too much. So I think moving around so much, it's hard for me to maintain friendships. I can make friends. And if I ever saw that person again, we'd absolutely still be friends. It's just, you know, maintaining that contact has been hard. So, so for you, where do you call home? If you had to say, do you have one place that in your heart is that's where I'm from? Uh, you know, I don't, you know, I've had that conversation a couple of times and that's something I've thought about repeatedly. And it's like, where is home? You know, right. I mean, home for me is where my family is, you know, it's not necessarily a geographical location. It's, you know, who more about who I'm with. So, um, you know, I spent most of my time here in California, you know, either Northern or Southern. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard. That concept is, is, I won't say it's foreign for me, but it's definitely something that's, you know, hard for me to quantify. Growing up, what took up your time? Were you heavy into sports? Were you into academics? Uh, not so much. Um, like I said, just moving around so much. You know, I was mainly into, you know, my, my goal was joining the military. That's what I wanted to do. So, you know, just kind of getting ready for that and, you know, just basically prepping for that kind of a life when I got out of high school. So your dad did a career in the Air Force? Yeah, he did. Yeah. Did he ever turn you away from going in the military or was he pretty much on board or was your family on board? Um, my mom was not. They, she was very much needed to go to college. Uh, my dad, they got divorced when I was very young. Uh, like fifth, uh, third grade. So, you know, I kind of grew up, you know, in a divorced family. Uh, my mom remarried another man in the military, another air force guy. And, um, you know, it was something that I had always wanted. Um, and he never just, he never talked to me out of, or never, you know, tried to get me not to go into the military. Um, and when it was time when I was actually going to sign the papers and go in, he was very supportive. Um, but yeah, it was not something that, you know, he was, he wanted me to go air force and I think he wanted me to be a pilot like him. But unfortunately, my eyes weren't good enough at the time, so I enlisted in the army. So, brothers, sisters, uh, one older brother, yeah, about seven years old, and uh, he or seven years older than I am, and uh, yeah, he moved out, and he was a aircraft aircraft mechanic for a long time. So, so when you went in, what year did you go into the military? Uh, Ninety eight. And were you planning to make it a career? Yeah, twenty years. I was planning on staying in for for a long time, but. What changed that? Uh, you know, I joined the Army uh, Airborne Infantry and wanted to be a Ranger. I uh, went into that program, uh, was a heat casualty in RIP, basically the Ranger Indoctrination Program. We went through Airborne all the way in there. And then uh, that heat casualty, I was almost a was borderline heat stroke. I was like right on the cusp. And uh, it made very hard things after that. So like anytime I did like road marches or anything like that, there was like physically, you know, I, I would almost basically almost have a heat stroke again. It was like a you know, recurring thing with me. So uh, I stayed in for about four and a half years on active with the fourth ranger training battalion, stayed over there. That's a pretty cool job. And then got out and joined the national guard with the intent to go to college. Um, stayed with them for about another five and a half years, you know, doing college off and on. But yeah, I ended up just getting out and then met my wife right before my last deployment. And that was kind of like, okay, well, you know, let's start this family thing. So when you discharged out or when you were in the reserves, were you here in California? No, uh, New Mexico. And what brought you to California? Uh, she did. Her family's here from Southern California. So, and when was the transition or, or had law enforcement kind of been in your radar prior to joining law enforcement? No, actually it wasn't. Um, a, uh, my sister's or sorry, my wife's sister, um, ended up marrying a, a police officer. And right about the time I got out in 07, I was kind of, you know, going to college, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And he's like, Hey, you should be a cop. And I was like, well, I mean, 
yeah, okay, why not? Let's, let's try it. And, you know, it's kind of in that, you know, in the realm of that military, you know, first responder kind of thing that, you know, and serving your country, serving your community. So I was like, yeah, I mean, it might fit. So, you know, I put in for it and, you know, surprisingly, it's like one of the easier things I've ever done. Uh, you know, background went really super quick. I was done in like three months and joined the academy and then I was a police officer. So, and what year did you start law uh, enforcement? 2009. And family supportive on that? Design? Oh yeah, very much. Yeah, very much so. And going forward, um, you're obviously 13 years in. Yeah. So looking to finish that out as your career. Yeah, I'll do the I'll do the 20 and then uh, probably retire after that. So going into your tool and for those not watching, um, it is the Stone Griffin. Yeah, Stone Griffin Tactical is the company I started. Tell me, the, tell me the background of the name. Uh, you know, it's like an airborne infantry thing. You know, it's a you know, eagle, king of the sky, you know, lion, king of the you know, earth. So it's like Stone Griffin, you know, it's kind of mixed. So uh, it just kind of came up as a cool company name and something that would kind of stand out a little bit. What was the, what was the impetus? What got you thinking about this tool? It was a need. Um, you know, most of your, you know, familiar tactical teams, you know, you got the Halligan bar. It's that, you know, it's a, uh, entry tool that, you know, the fire department uses almost all exclusively. They really like it. It's something they've been using for over a hundred years. Um, a lot of our SWAT and tactical teams like to use them because it's a really good tool. The only problem is they're like 36 inches long, 28 pounds, and they're about $250 or more a piece. And then you have to usually have a sledgehammer or an ax to work with it. So, you know, really big and heavy. Um, they work great and they're perfect for what they, you want them to do for like forcible entry and things like that. But um, on an individual level, they're, they're not really a tool that an officer can usually get to or, or a normal first responder can. And typically when the fire department uses them, it's, that's like one guy's job. They're so heavy that, you know, this is your job. You carry these two tools and that's it. That's the only thing you're doing. So when, you know, as a police officer, we get these, you know, what we call them check the welfares. So there's an older lady, she called, she couldn't breathe. She was having trouble. And so we get to the door and she's got one of those metal screen security doors in front of her house and, you know, no front facing windows and was, we couldn't get to her, you know, so I had to call the fire department to bring their tools. They came out, opened the door and we got to the lady, but that was like a 10 minute delay, you know, and it took me about six, seven minutes to get there in the first place. So you're talking almost 20 minutes before we reach this lady. And that was the main impetus. I, I got tired of waiting for the fire department, <laughs> basically. So um, the idea was just create something small, lightweight, easy to use, affordable that somebody, you know, like an officer can buy or if a department wanted to, they could buy you know, a hundred of them and then just basically to reach people faster to help save people. So were you and I want to kind of go in stages <clears throat> designing this. Are you mechanical in nature or or do you have that kind of in your background? No, I don't. <laughs> like, like I said, I'm a uh, airborne infantry guy, and you know, I got my degree in uh, business, and then you know, associates in business and intelligence operations was my my bachelor's. It was just an idea on the kind of on the back of a napkin. Um, you know, kind of took some little bits of here, little bits from there, from different tools that I thought would be really you know useful for an officer, and just cr try to cram everything in one one little tool as I could. So, um, you know, the wedge down at the bottom for breaching is very much like the Halligan bar. It gives you that really good leverage when you're prying into stuff. Uh, you know, it's got a, a residential gas valve key on there. So you can turn off the gas valves outside the house, you know, a glass breaking axe hammer. It's just kind of everything you need in one little tool to kind of, like I said, make it as versatile as possible. So when you, when you first started planning it out, like for instance, did all of the ideas come as one or did it come in stages? It kind of came in stages. You know, it's like, Hey, you know, I need a, something to, to hack and something to pry. And that's kind of what I started with. And then I kind of started, you know, messing around with a couple ideas, made a wood prototype, uh, talked to a bunch of people that had, you know, a lot of experience, some Navy SEAL guys, some of our, you know, SWAT tactical breaching teams said, Hey, you know, I brought in my prototype. I'm like, Hey, this is what I'm thinking about making. You know, it's for patrol, not for SWAT. Cause you know, typically you guys have all the, the cool guy toys, you know, you guys got the big budgets <laughs> and everything like that. Right. Um, it's your normal, normal average, you know, patrol 
officer that, you know, basically just has what's on his belt and that's it. So um, I started kind of putting all these ideas together and talked to a couple different people. And then uh, I met my engineer buddy. His name's Matt Phillips. Uh, he actually made, uh, he makes, you know, medical devices and things like that. Mechanical engineer, brilliant guy, awesome guy. Um, and I kind of showed him the idea and he really dialed it in and, and you know, did the, the physics and, you know, all the mechanical engineering behind it to dial in the, the, the prototype. So uh, I had one made in metal, started using that a little bit in the field. You know, give it to Matt, said, hey, this is what I need. Can you improve it for me? He made some, you know, some design changes and, you know, now we have, you know, the production model. So now tracking down from the, for somebody who's thinking about making something similar, tracking down a company that can manufacture this for you. How difficult was that? Or was it a pretty easy process? Oh, no, it's incredibly difficult. It actually took me uh, over a year to find somebody to make it for me. Uh, you know, so you can weld it and that's, it was super easy. Um, not effective for you know, production. It's just not cost effective. You know, the best way to make these things is in a drop forge and you know, you need a forge for that and you know, making stuff in America is not as easy as it used to be, especially when you're talking about metal, you know, working metal and things like that. All that stuff's moved overseas to like China and Mexico and, you know, out of the country. So it took me, like I said, over a year to find a company that would be willing to do it. You know, most of the stuff here in Southern California, you know, there's several forges, but they're all like aerospace industry. So, you know, they're talking extremely high tolerances and, you know, they said, yeah, we could do it, but it's going to cost you an arm and a leg just because, you know, we're so precise and you're making a very rough tool basically. So, um, end up finding a, a forge up in Detroit that is some, uh, military work and, you know, came with them to my, with my idea. They were supportive and like, yeah, you know, we could, we could probably do this for you. And, um, you know, sent the, the idea and the prototype and yeah, they end up cranking them all out for me. So, now, that first iteration, the very first version, I'm sure was, n well, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm, I'm assuming that it wasn't exactly the way you wanted it. No, I mean, I had an idea, um, you know, because I have some limited breach work, you know, in the military and then some of the, in the law enforcement, you know, but it's like, okay, this is the general idea of what I need, uh, produced it. And then, you know, we got some feedback saying, hey, you know, this part needs to be longer. This could be wider, like to be, you know, some design changes. And, you know, I made those changes and, yeah, then now we have the production, so... What's that? Pro I guess what I'm getting at is when you're dealing with a company in Detroit, what's that process like? Okay, here's the first version. Is it, from your mindset, is it okay? I need to address, let's just say, the pry portion. Yeah. Portion. I want this change, or do you have to go? Hey, I need all of these ideas changed. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. They, and it was kind of a, you know, especially as a small business owner with, you know, you know, this is my first business. This is my first product. You know, coming out of the, you know, basically learning this from scratch and kind of stumbling my way through it uh, is basically the way I described it to him. That's kind of the way I approached him. It's like, Hey, you know, I'm a small business. This is my idea. I have an idea. I know it's going to work. I just need your help, you know, with the making it, you know, and they were really supportive. That's one thing, uh, Trenton forging is the name of the company up in Detroit. And, uh, they're like, yeah, you know, typically we do, you know, 10,000 or a hundred thousand, you know, unit orders, which is like, you know, I need like 200 of these things, you know, <laughs> and they're like, uh, well, you know, okay, yeah, we'll help you out. And, you know, your military law enforcement will help you out. So, um, it was a really eye opening experience. And that's one of the things that was, um, I would say replaced, you know, you know, made me happy about humanity was, you know, everyone was extremely helpful. You know, I came and said, Hey, this is my idea. And this is why I want to make the tool. I told them my story. And I think that brought a lot of people on board and made them really supportive. Um, there's people here in Southern California that said they can't help me with this product, but I know the guy that can go contact this guy. You know, he's even, even a direct competitor on sometimes on some levels. So, um, 
talking to the guys in Trenton. They're like, yeah, we can make this. And, you know, they had to figure out how to bend it and make it. And, you know, it was a, it was a back and forth process with lots of phone calls, lots of zoom meetings, uh, you know, getting my engineer guy to basically go back and forth with them a bunch of times on different things. So it was a very, it's a huge learning curve doing all this stuff, but, you know, especially making a, a product, you know, hundred percent in America was the goal. Um, because everyone, when I was initially coming up with the idea, they're like, Hey, go to China, go to China. And it's like, no, I don't, I mean, I'm a patriot, you know, I'm an American. I want to make it here in America. That means something to a lot of people, me especially. And that was, you know, like I said, it was hard and going back and forth and just, it was a lot of conversations. It was, it was pretty difficult, but it was a re- rewarding process because, you know, I did, I made it, I made a product in America. So. Now you mentioned your engineer. Was that somebody you were friends with before this project started or did you find that person? Networking, you know, starting a business, I've learned very quickly that network networking is everything. Um, it's not necessarily, you know, what you know, it's who you know. And a lot of times, like I said before, you know, people you know might not be able to help you, but they know somebody who can. And that's where networking, you know, became really uh, important for my company, really helped me out because it was a, a mutual, another friend of mine, a partner of mine on the department says, Hey, I have an engineer buddy. And so I talked to him and that was Matt and you know, Matt just knocked it out of the park. So, and once you got into doing R and D, did, did your department back you in trying it yourself or did they say, Hey, if you want to do this, do it on your own. And it, I, I was kind of disappointed with the department, the way they, the way they handled it. I would, I would like to say that they gave me more support, but I think it was almost like a conflict of interest. Like you work for our department, we can't buy, you know, I'm not sure that they never said that, but I'm, I kind of think that's kind of what it is. It's like, you're on a department. We can't, you know, buy a bill, any of these things, it's a conflict of interest. So, and, and that's understandable. I, I was hoping they'd be a little bit more supportive on the, you know, the field testing and things like that. Um, they did field trial and it was a limited one and they gave me some, a little bit of feedback, but I was kind of, I was, I was, guess I was hoping for more, I guess it'd probably be the best way to say. But you said you also reached out to the military side and some Navy SEALs tried it out. Yeah. There's some, Did, uh, yeah. What I was getting at is, was it easy to find people to try it for you? It is, but getting feedback is, is always an issue. Um, you know, you can say, Hey, I got this great tool. Do you want to try it for me? Like, Oh yeah, this is great. I'll try it out for you. And it's like, well, can you fill out this one little page of paper? <laughs> yeah, you like, like yeah, yeah, I'll get to it. And like, you know, six months later it goes by and they still haven't gotten back to you and stuff like that. So, um, finding people's not hard. It's just getting the, getting good feedback is always difficult. And from initial inception, first version, all the different iterations afterwards, how long was the process to where you got to the point where you said, you know what, I'm ready to go. This is ready to be sold. Um, initially I came up with the idea in probably like 2013. So early on in my career, I'd, I'd run into those doors and it just got really frustrating. I mean, it's a gut wrenching feeling when you want to help somebody and you can't, and it's just a matter of equipment. You know, you could get to that person if you had the right tool. So, um, started in 2013, kind of came up with the idea, did the prototype, kind of worked, worked through it. Some kind of forgot about it for a little while because I changed jobs, um, still used it. And then in, uh, 2019, I met a, uh, my daughter had a birthday party. And one of the fathers came to the birthday party and we started talking about it. And he's you know, a veteran like me. And, you know, we were talking about, hey, what do you do? And he's like, oh, you know, help veterans start businesses. It's like, oh, well, that's kind of cool. Talked about it for a little bit. And I was like, hey, you know, I, I had an idea. So I brought up the prototype. He's like, OK, you're going to make it. You're doing a company. We're doing this. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, you're joining my program. We're going to get you started in a business. We're going to make this happen. And, you know, Mike Hayden was a guy's name. Great guy. Um, you know, got invented, got in. I wouldn't say invested, but I got into the veteran entrepreneur community. And after that, the resources just, you know, there's so much mentorship and, you know, people that can help you do a lot of stuff in that community that it just took off that. So, um, started the company in 2019 
and then basically started selling them and you know got the final production version uh like early 2020 right before the pandemic hit it's like hey i'm gonna start my business this is gonna be great we're gonna launch <laughs> this is gonna, 2020 is gonna be my year and then yeah it just went down from there like everybody else so it's just like oh perfect time to start a business right in the middle you know start of the pandemic so how did the pandemic impact? Um, it's still impacting it at this point. Um, you know, of course, the anti-police sentiment that is prevalent in America. I got uh, initially when I started my like Facebook page and you know for the company and things like that. I got a lot of pushback. People are sending me, you know, why are you making tools for people to kill people? You know, to, you know, tools for cops to kill people with. And it's like, dude, what are you talking about? I mean, this is a rescue tool, man. And you know, I got some hate in a couple of different places for you know basically being pro law enforcement, and uh, that was kind of difficult. But after that, I mean, it's I mean, I've been. You know, I'm a veteran, you know, we're a cop. We, we do what we need to do and just keep doing because we have to. And, you know, I've just been persevering. So still selling, still moving forward. Um, it's been a little difficult just because, you know, supply chain issues like everything else, you know, making something out of steel, you know, that tariffs and stuff like that went up when, you know, we were going against China for steel tariffs and things like that. So prices of production and things have gone up and there's been delays, supply delays. There's always been the, you know, trying to get things dialed in, production issues and, you know, getting those sorted out. So it's been a difficult but reward like i said difficult but re- rewarding when you talk about starting a business for somebody who's never started one what was the process so you talked about creating a facebook page but i'm assuming there's a lot more to actually creating a business to sell an item yeah um it's there's a ton of stuff actually and that's why i was really happy to get into those entrepreneur programs because i've done like three of them at this point and uh most of them are like you know starting a company 101 stuff so they walk you through a lot of it you know because you got to get a business license you got to come up with a name you got to you know register the company someplace uh you know and different states have different laws for you know how they treat you know companies and there's the different levels of companies like an llc a sole proprietorship um and that was kind of difficult to kind of navigate but um you know had been good mentors really did help out a lot so speaking of state to state when you're trying to sell an item like this that obviously has an axe side to it any uh, regulations that you ran into from certain states where they viewed it more as a weapon than a tool? Um, Facebook and Instagram have been on that um, crusade for a very long time. That's one of my biggest things, my biggest impediments to the company is it looks intimidating. I mean, it's a black axe, basically. <laughs> so everyone's like, oh, this is a weapon. Every time I try and you know post anything on Instagram or Facebook, it's they automatically flag it as a weapon. And uh, that is something, so I can't really sell anything. They flag on my account, lock my account. I can't boost things. I can't run ads and things like that. So, um, state-wise, nobody's, it's, since it's an axe, I mean, you can pretty much sell an axe anywhere. That's, I mean, if it's a double-bladed, you know, switchblade or something like that, you'd run into issues. But since it's just an axe and it's, I'm, I'm marketing it as a, a, a multi-tool or a rescue tool, it, there's no, there's no, I haven't run into any issues yet. But um, like I said, it's just the social media backlash, basically. That's been the biggest impediment. Where were you finding more of your clients, the law enforcement side or the first responder slash firefighter side? Um, first responders are, are a big one, police officers, because it's something that, you know, like I said, I designed it for us. It's something that we need. But, you know, I'm getting a lot of traction in the off-road community, the zombie prepper community, the disaster prepper guys. Um, those have been a lot of, I've made a lot of sales in those avenues as well. What do you see going forward? What's long-term for your company? Um, ideally one in the back of every patrol car, you know, you know, right next to your fire extinguisher in the back of your patrol car. It's just a tool. It's not the tool you need every day, but when you need it, you need it like right now. And you're probably going to save somebody's life with it when you do have it. So, um, that's the idea. Uh, finally got my patent. We're not patent pending anymore. We got our patent this month actually. So it's a patented product, which is pretty cool. Um, 
What's that process like? Oh, <laughs> expensive and very long. <laughs> so, uh, like I said, I started in 2019. I think I started getting the patent uh, in late 2019, and I just got the patent like this, like the, on the 17th of last of this month. So, it just it just takes forever. It was working. You can do it yourself, but typically it's usually better to get a lawyer. I hired a lawyer firm firm to help me with it. Um, they go back and forth with the patent office, make sure the drawings and the you know the verbiage in your patent you know marketed as a, you know, as an individual tool, not something that's, you know, like a ripoff or something like that. So, uh, going back and forth with the patent office and it, just, it like I said, takes about 12 grand, I think to pay for it all. And about that's an average cost. Um, that's what I've heard is about 10 grand and that's about what I end up spending on mine too. So, and while you're in that review process, can you make any changes or does that then augment the process. It kind of depends on the, the tool that you're, it kind of depends on the, the patent that you get. There's the utility and then there's the, uh, the other one. There's, there's two different types of, um, two different, two different types of uh, patent that you can do. So one's a utility, one's a, de- it's like, it was like a decorative or I forget what they call it, but it's not the one I got. So, <laughs> uh, one is like, basically it's an overall utility. So you're kind of cramming everything into one patent basically. And then the other one's like a design features, like more like feature related. So like your exact dimensions of your gas key on your tool is exactly, you know, you can't change that. This is a design feature. You know, it's a, almost like a, it's a feature that is my, I'm patenting this one particular part of whatever I'm making. And the, you know, the utility is more what I did. It's like, Hey, I'm making a tool that has more or less these dimensions and is designed to do X. And that's kind of what I ended up doing with the C taxes, a utility patent. Somebody thinking about designing something like this, and I hate to go down this avenue, but I'd like to talk about it. Today in 2022, everything's about liability. Mm, yeah. What what protections did you have to put in place for you and your company related to selling this? Uh, it's, you know, you can go back and forth with legal. You know, I got hired a lawyer, got some insurance for my company and things like that. And then, you know, it's basically just basic liability insurance. And, you know, the idea is like, hey, you're not, we're not responsible for anything. <laughs> you know, this is what it's designed for. If you do something else, it's on you. And so it's just having those kind of verbiages and stuff on your website and things like that. So, so not, not anything that's, I don't want to say grandiose, but not way out of a line. It's probably very typical for most other companies that are selling yeah. an item yeah. that can potentially hurt you. Yeah. And that's the thing I went with an LLC, uh, limited liability corporation. That's where most of my protection comes from. It's like, Hey, this is my company. It's completely separated from me and my family. It's just my company makes this thing. So if anything happens, you're going after the company, you're not coming after me. And so that's where um, a lot of the, when you're making your company and do decide where you're going to incorporate, that's where it becomes kind of important where you do because certain, certain states have better protection for corporations and li- limited liability companies than others. So everyone is usually pushing Nevada and I think it's New Jersey, or I think are the two favorites that most people do. So we're actually incorporated in Nevada, not California. So, And dealing with the, the forging company in Detroit, is that something that you plan to do long-term or do you hope to bring it more close to home and, and have more of a say in it? Yeah, I'd love to, you know, like I said, my, my initial idea, there's a couple of forges here in Southern California that I approached. Some didn't, you know, weren't, weren't interest, interested. Some couldn't handle it. Some weren't, you were just you know, like, yeah, we can't do that. Um, I'd love to have it in Southern California here, but um, like I said, finding some place to make it was the hardest step. And they were the only people that had uh, in a year that was able to find that we're actually, okay, we can do this and let's, let's go ahead and do it. The, how do I want to put this? Um, what do you, what, using this kind of as a marketing tool, mm. 
What do you need from the general public other than purchasing them? What are you looking to help grow your company? Uh, honestly, it's just outreach. Um, like I said, we're getting suppressed so much on Facebook and Instagram. It's really hard to get the word out because it's really funny. It's like you handed the tool to somebody and you explain what it's for. And they're like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Everyone needs one of these. How come we don't have one of these already kind of thing, you know? And, you know, half the time it's just trying to get the word out. You know, I mean, I, I explain it. It's here. And they're like, oh, yeah, this is great. And they share it. But, you know, sometimes it gets suppressed. Like I when I initially started the company, I started kind of putting ideas out there. And I was getting huge engagement on my posts. You know, I was getting, you know, 10,000 views on some cases and it was, it was huge. And then, you know, everything happened with, you know, all the unrest and everything like that. And now I'm getting 15, 20, you know, on a good day, you know, 15 or 20 views. It's, it's hard to, and, you know, I'm, I'm not saying I'm shadow banned or that's the <laughs> thing, but I honestly believe that's part of it is just getting that word out is, you know, hey, this tool is here. It's, a, it's affordable. It works. And it's, you know, something that everyone needs. So what is, what does something like, um, marketing through Facebook or Instagram or just marketing in general, what kind of money does that entail? Oh, it's like stupid amounts. It's really kind of crazy. Um, you know, you kind of get these, you start getting all these like spam emails when you start a company, <laughs> especially when you come up with a product. Um, you know, these uh, advertising companies will approach you like, yeah, we can do this. We can actually sell, you know, we can get you 10,000 of these things. You know, can sell a million of these things, but it's going to cost you 10 grand a month. And so, you know, it's big money. I mean, I'm a, I'm a small business, you know, I'm a police officer by trade. That's my day job, you know, yeah, this is my side hustle. Yeah. Right. And you know, that's a lot of overtime, $10,000 is, you know, that's a ton of overtime. So, uh, and they want to do that a month. So that seems to be typically what most have, have offered these, you know, high end, you know, marketing and advertising companies that have approached me. It's, it's about five to 10 grand a month minimum. What are your, what have your sales been like since starting out slow? Uh, you know, we did a Facebook, I did a, um, a Kickstarter crowdfunding campaign the first time around. We sold about 140, 150 units with that. And then uh, it's about five units a month is kind of what we're averaging more or less. Uh, gun shows have been big. We did one up in Orange County. That was great. We did like 15 units in a weekend, which is huge. I was really, super, really happy about that. And, you know, most events I go to, it's about five or six tools per, you know, gun show over a weekend or something like that. So what would... I guess what I'm getting at is for the growth of your company, what would be numbers that would allow you to, to do this full time as opposed to the law enforcement side? Uh, two or 300 units a year. You know, if I could get a big, huge order um, and clear that out, that would, that would definitely change everything and make it, make it go big. Um, right now it's just something that's kind of on the side, makes a little bit of money. And, you know, it's more about the, the mission at this point for right now, it's, you know, getting the tool out there to try and save lives. That's my idea. And that's kind of what I'm doing. It's not really, I'm not in it for the money exactly right now because I'm not making a whole lot with it, but um, it's the, you know, making a product and, and putting it out there for to help people. So that's what's been, I've been mainly focused on. Um, I would love to be able to do it full time. It'd be great. Uh, I'm just not sure what that would, you know, I'm not sure that I could do that on my own, if that makes sense. Like I'd have to get a lot more sales very quickly to make that happen. Going back, starting over from scratch, if you're to, to be that voice of, of advice for somebody starting out looking to start their own company, what are some of the key things that maybe mistakes or things you would have done differently from the, the onset? Get everything in writing. <laughs> Make it, when you're getting a contract, get it in writing. Um, you know, the initial guys that made their initial prototype were here in uh, Carlsbad. They made the welded prototype, basically, and it was great. And they're like, yeah, we can do it. You're like, okay, cool. Make it happen. I got, you know, a little bit of money to make this happen. I'm like, yeah, sure, no problem. We can make it happen. And then so I go there and they're like, okay, here's your tools. And like, okay, you know, how much do I, you know, here's the other half of the money. It's like, no, 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 no. We need six grand, not three grand. And it's like, well, you said three. And they're like, well, no, it'll actually cost us six. And well, 
come on, man, you didn't say that. That's not what you said. And so it wasn't, you know, I didn't get like a written quote. You know, I just didn't know. And, uh, I thought, you know, talking to the guy going back and forth and, you know, had a pretty good relationship with the guy and it's like, okay, well, yeah, I'm not going to do that again. Everything's in writing from now on. Um, that, and, and the importance of, you know, mentorship and networking, those are the two huge things. Um, get plugged into, you know, the veteran community if you can, if you are, if not, there's small business associations that most companies or most counties have or states there's, they're all over the place. And so just basically leveraging all the resources you can that are out there to help you. So there's a ton. You just have to say, hey, help me. And they usually do. Do, do the veteran entrepreneur programs, do they accept uh, first responders also? Yeah. Well, since I'm a veteran, uh, have a veteran background there, absolutely. They jump on it. So um, if you don't have that veteran background, um, I don't think the veteran ones do, but there's so many, there's the small business association centers. They're everywhere and they accept everybody. So um, there's quite a few that will help with you help you start a business. So, and there's a lot of, there's a ton of resources out there. They're kind of hard to find, but once you find them, I mean, they're more than willing to help you do pretty much anything. So, and what would you say is the, you, I know you mentioned marketing is very expensive, but where's a good, where's the best place to start for marketing? Um, I'm still trying to figure that out. Honestly. Oh, okay. Um, it's, it's something that I struggle with just because it's, trying to do so much with the company. And like I said, full-time police officer, I don't have a lot of time to, to, to do everything at once. So one of the things I did was I brought on, uh, Elisa Dansby. She owns a company called Centify. And so she helps me with, you know, marketing it, doing Instagram, Facebook, and you know, a lot of that stuff on the back end of the company and make sure, you know, sales, or, uh, working with the companies to make sure things are getting delivered on time and, you know, quality control issues. So, you know, bringing somebody on board was, don't try and do it all yourself would probably be my best answer to that. Um, some people can, I mean, I, I'm not one of those people. I don't have the time for it. Unfortunately, I wish I did, but you know, don't be afraid to ask for help and bring people on board is probably the best way I've, I've found to do those things. There's people out there that are willing to help you. You just got to go out there and find them. So getting it packaged up for shipment, did you have to deal with a company to make a special box for it or? Yeah, there's, um, it's really kind of crazy. There's, you know, you can get pre-made boxes that, you know, are the exact dimensions of your tool. They're like three or $4 a piece or, you know, $2 a piece. It doesn't sound like much, but when you need, you know, 1200 of these things, it gets pretty <laughs> expensive pretty quick. Right. So ended up being a, a slightly larger box that we ended up putting some package material in that it was, you know, was more cost effective. So it helped us get stuff out quickly just because it was more of a pre-made box that you can, you know, the, you know, the exact dimensions of, and then, you know, for shipping, it helps you out a lot. Where can people find the, the tool at? Uh, StoneGriffinTactical.com is our website. Um, we're also on Instagram as the same name and Facebook as well. So, and we're going to be in, we're on GovX now. If you can find us on GovX, you can get a good coupon and it'll relate you back to our website to purchase it. And then uh, we're also on Amazon now as well. What was the process like to get onto Amazon? Uh, long, not hard, but not easy. It's, it's, you basically just fill out the, the online form, but you got to go back and forth with Amazon quite a few times to make that happen. And they have very specific uh, guidelines on like, hey, your picture of your product has to be so big with this kind of a background. It, you know, it took about a month maybe going back and forth with them to kind of get it all done and said and done. And then uh, GovX was the big one. If you're familiar with that website, they, you know, uh, Alan Cole, the CEO over there was one of the mentors in one of the entrepreneur programs I went through. And they're actually a local company here in Southern Southern California. So getting plugged in with them with the entrepreneur program was huge. And he's like, this is great. Let's help you. We can get you everything we can help you any way we can. And they've been very, very helpful. Pandemic aside, are the, the entrepreneur program meetings, are they in person or are they via 
Zoom teams? Mostly they were in person. Um, before the pandemic hit is when I had gotten plugged into Bunker Labs uh, downtown. That was a great program um, for for anybody transitioning out of the military that wants to start a company. They will absolutely help you do that. And if you have an idea, you know, it's a great program to get involved in. Uh, and it was a very diverse group of people in that program. So it was mostly in person for those meetings. Um, post, you know, after the pandemic, uh, a lot of them were still running and Zoom meetings and things like that. And that worked out pretty good, I think, for a lot of people because you're still getting the same info. You're still kind of making the same context. It's not as good as an in-person program because that's always the best. But yeah, they've they've done some pretty good things with, you know, the online building and programs and things like that. Going back to Amazon, Amazon doesn't handle your shipping. So basically somebody purchases it and then you get notified, hey, ship it. Yeah, drop deal? ship it. Yeah. So there's a couple ways you could do it with Amazon. That's one way, and that's the way we do it. That's the easiest. If you're going to have them, sh- you know, drop ship it for you, they have very uh, stringent requirements to do that. So like, you have to send them X amount of product, and it has to be, you know, you have to pay for them to store it for you, and then you know, pay them to ship it out and things like that. So it's a little bit more labor intensive to do that. I think uh, the drop shipment for us has been pretty pretty good so far. So. What's been giving you the best traction, GovX or Amazon, as far as... We just launched both of those this month, so it's still kind of hard to see. Uh, honestly, it's like in-person and gun shows have been the best ones so far. And then the, the Kickstarter campaign, we did we did surprisingly well with that. Uh, I think we raised about $25,000 with that uh, campaign, which is great for you know, a startup company. But it's the in-person and you know the, the gun sales have been the best so far. Well, I appreciate your time. I, I want to let you any last words, advice you'd like to give to anybody who might be interested in this or something that we haven't talked about on, about this tool or your company? Uh, no, I mean, it's, I really do appreciate the time and the, uh, the opportunity to talk to you. But I think the, the biggest thing, especially in, in, in relation to your show is, you know, it's if you're a veteran getting out soon, think about starting your own business. That's, you know, a lot of people, you know, I remember when I was getting out, it's like, okay, what do I do now? Well, I go to college. That's that was kind of the go-to that everybody, everybody does, right? So it's just start don't feel bad about transitioning out of a job to get a new one to do something better and starting your own business might not be a bad way to do it i appreciate your time oh actually where's the best place to get in touch with you if people have questions uh, you can send uh, an email to me at brian.c at stone griffin tactical if you want to uh, anything and that goes straight to me i check that email all the time or like i said like us on facebook or instagram or shoot me a dm through that and i'll absolutely get get in touch with you i appreciate it Hey, thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for your time. Thank you for taking your time to listen to the podcast. I truly hope you enjoyed it. Not only is the podcast available on audio platforms, but you can also watch it on YouTube at the Transition Drill Podcast channel. Please subscribe for future episodes. The best way you can help the show is by getting the word out. If you think somebody else might enjoy it, I would appreciate it if you would share it with them. Also, if you have the time, please go to Apple Podcast and leave me a rating. I welcome your feedback, both positive and negative. You can also go to the website, transitiondrillpodcast.com, and through the contact tab, send a message directly to my email with any comments or suggestions. Thank you again, and I hope you tune in for the next one.